The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Joseph Bohegan is a composer and performer whose cross-cultural experience as an Armenian-American is a defining message in his music. His work explores the expression of exile, cultural reunification, and identity maintenance in diaspora. Joseph's works have been heard at the Oregon Bach Festival, June in Buffalo, Walt Disney Concert Hall, New Music on the Point Festival, tenor conference in Melbourne. His works have been performed by the Mivos Quartet, Decibel New Music, Great Noise Ensemble, Argus Quartet, Fresno Summer Orchestra Academy, and members of Yarn Wire. His music has also been featured on NPR's Here and Now and The California Report. He is also a founding member of Ensemble Decipher, a group dedicated to the performance of live electronic music. Bohegan has studied at Stony Brook University, California State University Fresno, and Yerevan Armenia with Artur Avanesov. Thank you. 
I start with an idea that's not musical. I sort of have like a backlog of ideas of pieces that I want to write something about. Um, and then from there, I'll have maybe some sounds associated with it. Um, I've had especially a lot of like live electronics pieces where I've sampled different sounds I've just found on the internet or sure. uh, with the piece we're going to talk about today. I've, it, there's been some influence of like different kinds of Armenian music. Mm-hmm. So j- just sounds from different music that I've been listening to. Uh, and then sometimes I'll go to the piano, but I generally don't like to right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I try to just like stay away and just like write on the paper at first. And then I'll go to the piano later if I need to figure out some harmony things. That's generally where I start. And why stay away from the piano? I, I hear this a lot. It's not an uncommon thing. Stay away from the piano. Yeah, I, I think it's because, so piano is my first instrument, uh, but it's not my main instrument. So I'm not great. And I feel like I can sometimes limit myself to what I can play on the piano that I'm trying to write. And especially if I'm not writing for piano, that can get a little bit in the way. But it's helpful for me when I'm thinking vertically, like in terms of harmony. Yeah. Okay, so you have sometimes almost an extra musical idea. When do notes get on a page? How how long? How far along in the process is that? Is that is that right away? Uh, is that after you've sort of condensed this idea, or does it happen very late in the process? Definitely after I've condensed the idea. I usually I have a word document where I write down all of my ideas for my pieces, mm-hmm. and generally have like a page or two of notes before I actually put down notes on the page. Um, so I do a lot of like thinking about the piece before I actually write down any pitches or rhythms or anything like that. So in this Word document, is it, this is going to be a piece about ice cream or is it very specific at 10 seconds, this is going to happen at bar, this, this event will happen? Yeah, it's it's not quite detailed in a, like a time sense. It's more of concepts like these are the things that I'm thinking about for this piece. These are the kinds of sounds that I want to work with. So it's more general, like overall for the piece. And then I'll also sketch out form and things like that, just on a blank piece of paper. I like to do that to sort of contextualize the piece in my head before I actually start writing, even though like when I actually get to writing the piece, it always turns out different than like how how I drew it out on the paper. But that helps me just sort of in my head think about sections and form because I also don't always start at the beginning of the piece. Sometimes I start in the middle uh, and that helps me figure out where I am. You mentioned you get these ideas for pieces. So where, where does that inspiration come from? Is it listening to other music or another form of art or where, where do these concepts, where do these ideas come from? It can come from both listening to other music and just other things that a lot of it comes from like reading. I, I do a lot of reading of different, different subjects. Something that I'm reading may give me an idea. Even if it's not about music, it'll be something that makes, like it sounds musical to me. Like it gives me an idea of sound that I can run with. Or like I'm reading about something and I'll think, this is something that I want to think more about and I don't necessarily have the words to like describe what I'm thinking about or what I'm feeling about it. 
but maybe I have the sounds to describe what I'm feeling about it. Uh, so it's another way to sort of like work through uh, different things that I'm thinking about because I'm not always the best speaker or writer. I feel like I sort of work things out through music. Kind of remind me of uh, David Lynch's uh, uh, Catching the Big Fish. And uh, in that book, he talks about, you know, getting in the creative mindset and getting, you know, transitioning, just like how someone falls asleep. You know, you transition into sleep. He sort of thinks of it as you transition into creativity. So do you find that process of being creative a separate thing? Are you always creative? Like, are you, are you like doing your taxes and you're being creative, you're having creative ideas? Or is it something you have to work to kind of get in a mindset? It's, uh, I would say something I have to work to get into a mindset usually. Yeah. So do you have like a, a creative aid that, that you use in, in your process? Uh <laughs> Usually I need to be in like complete silence. Complete <laughs> silence. Yeah, yeah, I can't I can't listen to other music when I'm trying to compose or like even in that those early stages. I get distracted and I just yeah. start thinking about whatever I'm listening to. That but, piece, yeah. 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 So usually it'll be things like just getting up and walking around to sort of distract myself from like if I'm sitting still like at my desk. I may just start thinking about all the work I need to be doing or something. But if I get up and go for a walk, that gives me the space to be creative and stop thinking about all the other things I have going on in my life and just let my mind wander. wanted to talk about the water has found its crack. Maybe you could explain, uh, first of all, who we're hearing in the recording and the commissioning process or why this piece first came to be. Uh, so the singers are Kat Sanset, Heidi Schneider, and Elena Tamburini. And they've been like on board for this project since the beginning. Like They were working on, with me for about a year on it, which was especially important because I was setting an Armenian text, and they don't sing in Armenian. They don't speak Armenian. Sure. Um, sure. And then we have Rob Cosgrove on percussion, and Kate Dreyfus, Sophia Sun, and Sungyun Tsai 
uh, on the string parts. You talked a little bit about the hermeneutic concept of this piece that, you know, part of the compositional process was to sort of research and interpret old texts, uh, specifically text and recordings uh, from our media. When I started this piece back in October of 2019, I actually moved to Armenia mm-hmm. to work on this project. So I was living in Yerevan in the capital city, and I was working at the Komitas Museum Institute. So for those who don't know, Komitas was an Armenian uh, composer, musicologist, and priest who lived around the turn of the 20th century. And he did a lot of research into Armenian folk music, uh, did some composing with those melodies as well. And he's really like the foundation of Armenian music in the past hundred years. Um, so while I was there, I was like, one of my jobs was translating uh, texts of folk songs from Armenian into English for a book that they were publishing. Mm-hmm. So I was reading through the texts, editing the English translations, and I was noticing there's a pattern of a lot of folk songs would mention water as a sort of reference to displacement and exile. And those are things that have just like been common themes throughout Armenian history for the hundreds and hundreds of years. So I thought it was really interesting that like that use of water as a metaphor for those concepts. Uh, and then I, at the same time, I was also reading about uh, like the writings of Furant Dink, who was a Turkish Armenian journalist uh, who was assassinated in 2007. And he had an article where he told this anecdote about a French Armenian woman who was visiting the village that she grew up in, which was in Turkey. And she died when she was there on one trip. And they were trying to figure out who her family was. And then when they found them, a man from the village said, let her be buried here. The water has found its crack. So it's the idea of like her returning to the, the indigenous land that Armenians are from. So I sort of put those two ideas together, both dealing with water. And I, when I was going through the folk songs, I took out these different fragments that spoke about water from eight different folk songs and reshuffled them and put them together in a new way to create a composite text that created a new narrative, uh, dealing again with these ideas of displacement and exile, but all on the theme of water. You mentioned the concept of displacement and finding your place in displacement. At the beginning, it's sort of these single pitches and the uh, the singers are sort of rising and dropping to meet um, sort of whatever the pitch is at that part. So can you tell us a little bit about the first section of the piece and, and, and what we're hearing, what's going on there? In a lot of ways, I was thinking about the different ways that water moves and fluidity and that translating into the way that the music is moving. So at the beginning, there's all these like glissandi and there's quarter tone glissandi over multiple measures. So it's just moving very, very slowly and you can, it's almost imperceptible movement of pitch. So I wanted this idea of sort of overlapping. It's like almost like a counterpoint of glissandi moving in all these different directions at different rates the voices and the strings are so close to each other, but right. not quite together. So you get that sort of beating of the, the voices that are not quite together. And, and I heard this dialogue of trying to meet the pitch or trying to arrive at the pitch, but then 
sometimes over, sometimes under, intentionally, not, you yeah, know, yeah. not like a, a child's <laughs> choir where, you know, everyone's trying to make a C chord. I, it, it was this intentional sort of pulling on this tension of here's a note, uh, you know, uh, a singer is, is rising or dropping to meet it. As the piece progresses, I notice these more flowering sort of uh, frenetic passages start to happen. It happens in the strings. Uh, it happens even in the voices. And this is to me when the sort of Armenian folk song, that's when I started to hear that being introduced uh, into the piece. So what were those sort of flowering and, and frenetic type ideas that we hear in the piece? Yeah, for those, I was thinking a lot about ornamentation. So ornamentation is something that's important in a lot of Armenian music. And for that section, I think that you're referring to specifically, I was thinking a lot about uh, actually even like Armenian chant, like a sort of sped up version of Armenian chant. Uh, I, as part of like my research for this project, I would go sit in an Armenian church and just like listen to the music. I like, I would, especially not even the Sunday service, just like the weekday evening service, I would get off work and just go sit in the church and listen and like secretly record it on my phone so I could <laughs> listen back to it later. Um, but so that was part of it. And then also there's another section later in the piece that's sort of like a quasi folk song with a lot of ornamentation. So I thought of that earlier section as sort of breaking off those long ornamentations. So like taking off the long held note at the end, and then it just leaves you with this long string of ornaments. And then you're sort of just layering them together and they're overlapping. But around 10 minutes and 44 seconds, it's a it's a string only part. And there's these wonderful overlapping string parts. And they sort of fall apart. Throughout the piece, I move between different levels of like meterness or metricness sure, and non-metricness. Yeah. Yeah. So in that earlier part, like those quasi-ornamentation things are not mm -hmm. metered, but other parts are like the strings are metered. But at that section that you're referring to, everything becomes non-metered. People are just doing their little isolated parts. And then at that strings, at the point when the strings come in, they all have the same exact thing. It's like the box notation, like Ludoslavsky. Sure. And yes. it's just like, go, you play it. Like everyone play it as fast as you can. You play it six times, you play it 10 times, you play it 12 times. And like you, it, the instructions were just like gradually slow down, gradually un, unevenly elongate some of the pitches. So that's where you get that like uneven process, like oriented, like pulling apart of the strings. Oh! 
Yeah, I really like working collaboratively with performers when I'm composing. I when I'm just like sitting by myself in a room and just like I don't like to just like write the whole piece and then just email to the performers like here it is. Right. You're just locked in the tower, right? And you you come out of the tower twice a year, present <laughs> the the town with music and go back <laughs> up into the tower, right? Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like too isolating. And I also yeah. like will come up with better ideas if I'm working with other people and talking through the piece. So I mentioned with this piece, I was working with the singers from the very beginning, but I, I really like to be having, like have a back and forth with the performers or even just with my composer friends, like send them a draft and say, what mm -hmm. do you think of this? Um, They're like, it's horrible. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like getting other people's input is helpful for yeah. getting out of like getting stuck sometimes. What about the like, well, why, why am I even doing this anyways? Like, what is this? I've been spending so much time on this. Why am I doing this? Is that something you struggle with at all? Like, why am I, why am I doing this? Especially like if I'm working on a piece for a really long time, like I was working on this yeah. piece for almost a year, sure. uh, I'll go a long time without showing it to someone. And then I'll think like, this is terrible. And then I'll show it to the performers and I'll hear, I'll hear them play through it or sing it. And I'll be like, oh, that's that's not too bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> or I'll hear yeah. them give some feedback. It's like, I guess it's okay. Uh, yeah. So like, hearing other people play something or getting their feedback on something reminds me that like, this music has been like playing over and over in my head for like a month. Like, yeah, it it can sound fresh to to someone else. Like when it sounds fresh to me, coming back from a performer, that it's not like. It's not sounding as stale as maybe it was by just like thinking of it over and over again in my head. Well, um, Joseph, this has been fantastic. Um, it's been great talking to you and, and learning about your music. Before I let you go, um, if somebody wanted to learn more about you and more about your music, uh, where would they go to do that? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Absolutely. If people want to look me up, uh, my website is josephbohegan.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook page. If you just look up my name, you'll find me. It's pretty unique, so I'll probably be the only Joseph Bowie again. Thanks to Joseph for his time and for sharing his music with us. As always, if you like this episode, check out other episodes in the series. And as always, like, subscribe, and leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.